0: Thanks for joining us as we dive in again to continue our series called More Than a Church. You may ask yourself, how can you be more than a church? And we have endeavored to discover what that means for us as a community of believers, and we've used words that talk about what we believe. These are some words that I feel describe being more than the typical American or Western culture church. We're more than a church when we are courageous and when we're compassionate when we 're generous, when we focus on all generations, when we become more about the mission than about the experience, when we become ascending church, when we 're about leadership and serving, when we, we endeavor to be creative with the Word of God and, and the unchangeable truths, when we maximize our efforts through praying and working, you know as as I grew up, my how many of you ever had, your parents or coaches had maxims they used, they were cliches. Um, things like, winners never quit and quitters never win, right? You heard that maxim? I always wondered, if you never win and you never quit, but I was thinking about silly things like that, silly maxims, because there's a maxim in the scripture I want to point out this morning. Uh, I think it was... Uh, Yogi Berra, who said this, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Uh, another one was live forever or die trying. If you eat a live toad first thing in the morning, nothing worse will happen all day long. I believe that one. <laughs> I can only please one person a day. And today is not your day. <laughs> Tomorrow's not looking good either. <laughs> My dad would ask this question. Are you going to do it right? No, I thought I'd continue to do it wrong as long as I live. Correct me, Dad. Help me. My mom would say this to me and my brother as we were wrestling. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just cleaned. (laughs) All right, Mom. Thanks for your compassion. Before you criticize someone, what? Walk a mile in their shoes, right? That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away. (laughs) Right? That's don't cry I've heard these two sayings used separately, but I think there might be a correlation. You don't cry over spilled right and there's another saying you can o- we use this on the farm a lot. You can only milk a dead cow once I'm wondering if there's some sort of correlation there that spill anyway this one always gets me uh, it's always in the la- it's always in the last place you look because if you kept looking. You're not very smart because you already have it. Or they'll say, people, uh, Conversely, they'll say, well, did you look in the last place you put it? Well, if I remembered that, we wouldn't be having this conversation. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, the apostle, introduces this maxim of generosity. In fact, he addresses it specifically, and he uses this maxim. He says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Sparingly, he who sows generously will reap generously. Now, he's not really quoting anyone, but this maxim that he gives us is a kingdom principle. The closest correlations you could find in Scripture, uh, there are some correlations in the Old Testament, pro- but probably the best one is when Jesus himself said, Give, and it will be given to you. To the measure you give, that same measure will be used in giving to you. And throughout Scripture, we see this idea of generosity, especially in the New Testament, in the teachings of Christ, who taught things like, turn the other cheek. Now, is that being generous? You bet. Because if you hit me on one cheek, I want to smack you down hard. But the generous response is to say, you deserve a punch in the face in return, but instead, now it's not, I know some of you are already ahead of me thinking generous would be not just one punch, but ten punches. That's not generosity. It's giving back what someone does not deserve. Someone doesn't re- deserve kindness when they've smacked me on one cheek, and I'm offering them the other to smack as well. But this is the type of generosity that Christ was endeavoring to create in his followers, Philippians chapter 2 talks about the generosity of Christ himself when in Philippians 2 it talks about that Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something that he could hold on to because he was fully God but he was also fully human he gave up his rights as God becoming human and becoming a servant He himself said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Last week I spoke to you about getting ready. As a church, what it looks like to get ready for what God is about to do, and when the Holy Spirit moves, we follow. To go where he wants to take us, places we as a church, or even as individuals, have not gone before. Some of you have shared the stories, over the, your own stories, over the last few weeks about the challenge of, that God's Spirit has put in you to face fears, to walk in faith, to follow His Spirit, to follow His leading. And I love hearing those stories because I believe it's that which, that causes us to be more than the church. As individuals and as a corporate body, we are all taking those steps together. Last week we talked about raising up the generations. That we are looking beyond our own life's moment to those who would come after, those who are in the back of the church this morning. We're looking to be generous, not because they are our children, because if you're single, you're thinking, well, that's somebody else's kid. And we like children's ministry because it's quieter in here. We're generous not because we want to babysit. We're generous to our children because we feel that Without that, we're only one generation as Christians from our faith being completely extinct from this planet. One generation is all that stands between us and the extinction of the Christian faith. And we are generous to young, younger generations so that they carry on the message and hope found in Jesus Christ. I want to be known as a generous church and as a generous person. I've said over the weeks that we want to be generous not only in our giving, but our living and our loving. That we are a church known by our generosity. Because typical churches have a survival mentality. Oh, we just need to get by. We just need to pay the bills. Let's have the minimum number of staff members, have the minimum of everything so we can just have our Sunday morning and move along. But a generous church not just looks to its own needs, but looks to the community that it wants to affect. Church, I don't want to just influence a community, I want to transform a community. I don't want to just see Columbia transformed. I want to see every little city represented, whether it's in this building right now or not, transformed by the generosity and the love of the people of C2, from Ashland to Hallsville. Pilot Grove, right, Centralia and Fulton, Jeff City, and I think of all the surrounding cities that we could begin to affect and it would just move out from there. When we become more than a church, we meet the needs of all people and we transform a community. So let me say this. Thank you for taking steps already moving towards being a church, being more than a church in in the sense of generosity. I shared last week that the $8,500 that we needed for the Ghana well that's going to be drilled in February, we already have it. You can clap for that. That's pretty awesome. Those who showed up at the workday yesterday, thank you. You were generous with your time and with your skills, with your getting dirty. You were very generous in that. It was pretty dirty here yesterday. This is part of being a generous person if you're on the new version this morning you can follow with us on in 2 corinthians chapter 9 starting in verse 6 because generosity is more a condition of the heart than the condition of the wallet and i'm not preaching on generosity to get into your wallets i'd rather dive into a pool of razor blades <laughs> okay but I believe this is an important message because it's important for you as a Christian. Let's read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered broad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that... You can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will raise, uh, praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want to work backwards through that passage this morning. There's so much to unpack. And while this might have some semblance of a message on giving and tithing, I want you to hear that really it's about helping you understand the heart of God because it's that last verse, verse 15 that says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, his grace is that indescribable gift, the grace given to us in the form of Jesus Christ who gave himself as a sacrifice. This is that gift. And to understand generosity in the Christian walk, for generosity is truly Christian, it is Christ like to be generous. We must understand the nature of God. Scripture is full of references of God's generosity to his people, taking care of their needs and blessing them as they walked in obedience and in faith. As I was pondering this thought of generosity, the song that came to me is an old one. It's called, How Great Thou Art. Perhaps you know that song. If not, you can look it up on Pandora this afternoon. And there's a verse in there that's scriptural. It says, when I think about God and his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. When I stop to think about how generous God has been with me, to send his son as an atoning sacrifice for my sins, the sins I committed, I stand in awe. I scarce can take it in. And the song goes on to say, how great thou art. How great are you, God, in your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness and your generosity to me. It's what some have termed the beautiful exchange. I take my righteousness, that, those good deeds that I think earn me a spot in, in God's good graces. It earns me a spot to heaven. The, that righteousness that comes from my own ability to follow the rules, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. It's all torn and tattered, and dirty, and presented to God. It's, it's just that. There's nothing there. There's nothing of worth. It's the exchange that the Lord says, take off your filthy rags and I'll put on you clean ones. White as snow. It's that idea that God is doing for me what I cannot do for myself. This is the heart of generosity. Think about the scripture in 1 John. If you've not read 1 John, it's a great exposition, especially right at the beginning, of the love of God. And the part that says, How great is the love that God the Father has lavished on us. I like that word, lavished. Just heaped upon us. So much so that I I can't hold it all. He's lavished on us that we should be called his children, for that is what we truly are. This is the idea of generosity, it's grace I cannot contain. It's like when my son, with all of his car's characters, when he, ha- he has like too many of them because I like to collect them too. And when we put them all, he can't even hold them all because I've bought him so many. Because I just love his face when I give him a new one. And I'm always going through the store saying, oh, we don't have this one. <laughs> I love to give it to him, not because he earns it. He hasn't done anything for me yet. He can't even mow the lawn. What's up? But I want to be generous to him. I want him to know. And he can't contain all that. It's the grace that we get. It's this idea of grace. Getting something you don't deserve. And you can't earn. It's forgiveness. When we start to embrace generosity, it is then that we understand the idea of forgiveness. I don't truly believe you can forgive until you start to give. Until you understand the generosity that God has had towards you in forgiving your great sin, if you don't comprehend that, it's really hard to forgive others. In fact, that's when you start to judge others and condemn them. If you want to forgive, you need to start to give. Generosity starts with the understanding. Of God's generosity towards us, towards me. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. Forgiveness came because he gave first. He gave his son. And that sacrifice provides for us forgiveness. And from this, we are I want to say obliged, but that's not the word. It's when we understand and can grasp the nature of God's generosity that I hope, I know in my heart I'm stirred to respond to it. I want to respond to the love demonstrated to me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Be imitators of God. When you begin to grasp how generous God has been with you, not just in spiritual terms, although that's the greatest gift. Every area of your life, as you walk in obedience and faithfulness, you see God's generosity to you. And so that's the second thing I feel we do as a, church that's more than a church, is we then become imitators of God. When you begin to be generous, you are imitating the very character and nature of God. This is what Paul says in verse 13. Because Of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for your obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. It is through generosity that we demonstrate that we are followers of Christ. We, as Paul is saying to a group of Gentiles in Corinth, he's saying, You are not only proving to God, but you're actually proving to those who are receiving your gift, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, you are proving out that the gospel really has come to you and that you've embraced it as Gentiles. The Gentiles who were viewed as heathens, pagans by the Jews. They are now demonstrating back to the Jews the gospel that the Jews had sent them in the form of the Apostle Paul. And through this he's saying, because of your obedience, you're showing, you're demonstrating the obedience that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Confession is almost a word of guilt. It it should probably, in our English terms, be your profession. You're announcing your faith in Christ and that you've understood the generosity of the good news of the gospel. And by being generous, by having a generous heart, you are beginning to conform to the image of Christ, and this is what Scripture tells us, that God desires for each one of us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. But oftentimes I find myself, when God wants to mold me and, and, and shape me, I'm, well, not there, God. Don't, you know, my wallet's my wallet, and, and that, that part of my character, I really don't want you to touch that. But as I let God mold and make me as I give, it's, it's as if I'm wetting the clay of my heart and I'm saying, God, I trust you. Form me and make me in, into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's, it's through generosity I demonstrate Christ's love. I'm being generous today because I haven't mentioned the Cowboys and Vikings game. And I haven't trash talked. I told him I had the microphone more than he did today. so, But we've agreed not to go there. Because we know the Vikings will lose anyway. Be imitators of God. When you are generous, it's a demonstration of Christ's love overflowing in and from your life to others. Because I really believe generosity opens up our soul. It connects me with God. It's, it's when I give that I'm most like Christ. And it's, it's when I give away that which I've even worked hard to earn, I begin to understand the gospel. I begin to experience the heart of God. And Paul writes, because of your giving, people are seeing God's mercy and grace. They're seeing God's generosity because of you. When we give as a church... When we're able to bless others, whether it's through boxes of love or other avenues, we are demonstrating God's grace to people in a tangible way. I love getting thank you cards written to the church because of boxes of love and to read the impact of people who are saying, I didn't think I'd have anything for Thanksgiving. We would have nothing to be thankful for. But your church was more than a church. They don't say those words, but I read into it. It's a demonstration of God's grace to others. You are supplying for somebody else's need because you understand that God has supplied for your needs. It's our service to God and and this idea of service is not obligation. It's the idea that I understand who God is. He's my Lord, he's my master. I am not mastered by money, and this is what Paul challenges the believers. Don't be mastered by anything. Don't let money become your master. How do you do that? By cracking the shell of that, by giving, by serving, by using your resources to bless others. It's an understanding. The principle of the tithe, the giving of 10%, it is not that God needs your money. He never needed it in the first place. It's that you're understanding who sits on the throne of your heart Who really is Lord and Master if God really owns it all? And as you give, as you understand generosity, and sometimes for me, this is one of those areas that I have to fake it till I make it. I've had to just be generous at times when it's not truly how I feel. It's great when you're motivated by feeling, but sometimes it's just, I have to take that step of faith even despite my feelings. It cracks the shell of selfishness and somehow begins to let the grace of God abound in my life. Generosity, this is the third thing, generosity is the key to the treasure chest of joy. When I give, I experience just a taste of heaven. It's opening up the treasure, treasure chest, say that ten times fast, the treasure chest of joy. In our society, we're such a get, 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 have, have, have society and we settle oftentimes for happiness because it's so it's so now it's so instant i can have happiness right now if i do this and i use my resources for my immediate needs and for my wants and generosity is so opposite of that generosity is not about now 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 it really is about god's purposes in the long view For those who've heard messages that, and and we say it because it's true, but if you hear it and believe that you give to get from God, that somehow, you know, if I give 10 bucks, God's going to send me 100 bucks, that happens. God takes care of his people, but if you see it as God owes you now and you don't take the long view, when you don't get a check in the mail tomorrow because you gave today, you could be very disappointed. Generosity is this long view, it's a kingdom view of giving. It's like those who play the lottery. I have yet to meet somebody who, when I say, hey, you know, we're talking about money and finances. They're not saying to me, when we're talking about investments, oh yeah, I have all my money tied up in the lottery right now. It's, I mean, I'm at like 50% return right now. You know, I, I got a dollar scratcher ticket, and it was a $2 win, and, and all of mine are, you know. Nobody says they're investing in the lottery, right? That is a now type of deal. You want to give 10 bucks to get your ticket so you might have a chance to win $4 million or whatever. Have you ever read the statistics that people who win large amounts of cash are actually worse off a year later? Why is that? Because they don't have the long view of life. They don't have the view of eternity. Those who are willing to take their money and set it aside in savings or investing, they take the long view. They say, if I I save $10 this week and $10 next week instead of blowing it on the the lottery, I may not have a chance at winning $4 million, I'll grant you that. But in 10 years, in in 50 years when I want to retire, I'm going to have a nest egg that has sat there untouched And it will have grown itself. I don't have time to explain nor the the, the mind power to comprehend all that. But I know that principle. Generosity is the key to joy. Instead of seeking happiness, you take the long view of life and you say, I want to seek joy. And joy comes from generosity, which comes straight from the heart of God. If we truly are to reap what we sow, if we, if we believe the scripture in, in verse 10 when it says, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. If we truly believe that, not in just a financial sense, although I believe that is true. Here, Paul, we are better off reading what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that when you write a check or give $10 cash, God is going to send you back that. He does not say that anywhere in here. But he is saying he provides for the farmer the seed. And if the farmer takes the seed and plants it and harvests it, what is he going to have more of? More seed. It will provide for the farmer's immediate need. And the farmer does well to set aside some for the next harvest, and God continues to multiply that and multiply that, whether it's in your finances or in your spiritual walk. This is what Paul is talking about, in the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through your generosity, it will result in the thanksgiving to God. It's leading to praise to God. You'll be enriched. God will bless abundantly, he says, these are these are words that we like to grab onto especially when we find more months than we have check. Right? Like my kid says, "Well, you have a debit card, doesn't that mean you have money?" Uh-huh. I got this email last week. <clears throat> I asked uh one of the ladies in our church to share her story because I thought it it was just an astounding story, and I asked her to email me the details so I could really grasp it. And she wrote this. Last November, out of nowhere, I lost my job. I had no savings, and the severance package offered me about one month worth of bills paid. I spent that entire month every day looking for work and found nothing. I've been a Christian since I was eight, but I had really fallen away. I went to church every Sunday and and talked the talk, but I had no real relationship with Christ and had been making some pretty poor decisions over the past few years. So when all of this happened, I thought to myself, not that God had abandoned me or was punishing me, but simply that he had given up on me. So many second chances, I thought perhaps he was just looking at me as a lost cause. My oldest daughter reminded me that I was being dumb and that God would never do such a thing. That night, I got on my knees and I cried and prayed, and I told God I was sorry, asked Him to forgive me, and told Him that I would dedicate my life to serving Him and doing the right thing. I started a plan to read the Bible that day, following a year long plan, and I couldn't put it down, ended up reading it cover to cover in four months. The state offered me $237 in assistance. That was it. My rent alone was $365, but I took the assistance. Even with bills piling up and a young daughter to support, I took that $237 and tithed 10%. That was the Sunday that the pastor preached at Christian Chapel. He said during prayer that God told him to pray for someone's finances, and I raised my hand. The very next day, and this is a personal, I'm not joking, Jeremy. (laughs) A check came in the mail unexpectedly that paid the next month's bills. I cried out and praise to God. From that moment on, every time I got money, no matter what bills I thought I needed to pay, 10% went right uh, to tithe right off the top. For six months, with no work and no interviews, I tithed and received enough money to pay each month's bills. She talks about 20 years ago feeling called to the mission field in Africa, and she writes, I decided to follow that. So I enrolled in a bachelor's in Christian ministry program at Victory University. I received enough financial aid to pay another six months' worth of bill, and in the same month, got a job. I'm not rolling in money right now. Some months we barely scrape by, but no matter how much I have, it's always enough. And I know that is by the grace of God alone. I feel so blessed financially and spiritually. Not only did God give to me, but he still gives to me all that I need. These are real stories of people who are, in their own words, not rolling in the money, but they're trusting in God. And as they step out in faith to him and in generosity, they are seeing their needs met. This truly is the principle of where your treasure is. Where is your treasure? Matthew chapter 6 says it's where your treasure is, there your heart is. It's what you invest in. Your money in it's your time and your energy that becomes that which you treasure, which you have invested. You know our culture gets that concept. When I when I talk with friends of mine who aren't Christians, they they understand that it takes money to do all sorts of things, and that we give to the things that we value. And that's you know those are the, those are the connections I have with people is based on those things that we're interested in that we have similar place similar value in. And that, that conversation is not difficult to have about money and business. It seems like in the church we have trouble talking about it, even though it's in the Bible. It's in there a lot, actually, that God talks about the resources of our life and how to manage them according to Scripture. And that really what is part of generosity. It's hard to be generous when you mismanage 90% of your money. It's hard to give the 10% to God. Like I said, I, I, I didn't get into ministry to raise money. I, I, I got into ministry because I believe in seeing God, God change people's lives. But I want to give you some giving principles this morning that are, are pretty basic to understand. They're, in fact, it's the very thing that Paul starts this part of Scripture in. When he talks about sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly and sowing generously and reaping generously, he goes back to the basics. In verse 7 he says, each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give. So the first one is, it's an individual matter settled in your heart. Your heart. And this this is where we like to say, well pastor, you don't need to talk to me about it, it's between me and God. Yes, but I'm his spokesman telling you what he already told me. You need to deal with it in your heart. That is what begins to move you towards being like Christ, is the ability to settle that issue between you and God. And it's not saying, does it decide whether or not to give? It's saying, in this regard, it's saying, how much? What parts of your life are you willing to give to God? And it's saying, you know, if you understand it's all His, then this is a small issue. You just determine between you and God what it is you're going to do. It's not based on what others do, right? It's not based on that. You don't determine it on saying, well, if I know uh, the Joneses over here are doing this and the Smiths over here are doing this, then I'll, uh, I'll uh, you know, you don't base it on that. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. Scripture says the gift is acceptable based upon what you have, not on what you don't have. How many times have you said to yourself, well, if I only had this, then I would give. If I only had a better-paying job or if I didn't have this financial setback, God doesn't judge you on what you don't have. He doesn't judge you on that. He's not holding you accountable to things that somebody else has. He's holding you accountable to what you do have in your hands. And that's why the gift is acceptable. And generosity, again, it's not just giving. The word here, generosity, is eulogia. It's a good word, it's where we get the word eulogy. It's well speaking. And it's the idea that when I give, when I'm generous, I'm being, I'm, being, I'm blessing through my words. That's where it kind of comes from. And so by action, we are blessing, we are, we are sowing seed. The other word that Paul uses here is pleonexia. He's saying, don't give out of pleonexia, don't con- contribute, simply contribute, because you feel manipulated. Or out of obligation or fraud. But truly, he's saying the door to blessing is obedience and generosity. And so I challenge you today to move forward in your generosity. What does that look like, Pastor? I'm glad you asked that question. Perhaps you sit in this room today and you don't give at all. And that's okay, especially if you're new to our church. There's no, you know, you're not the intended target, although you should give to God. But those of you who attend C2 regularly, this is your home church, you're a member, and you're not giving, here are some simple steps. Step one, start giving. Oh, amazing. Just start. Just start somewhere. Boxes of love, Maybe you can't do a whole box. You know what? Grab an envelope this morning, write boxes of love on it, and put it in the drop box on your way out. Before you do, tuck a little something in there. Because what you're doing then is you're providing for all the things that we purchased to provide the boxes, the wrapping, all the things that go in it. Or grab three other people if you're single and fill a box of love. Or as a family, decide you're going to teach your kids to be generous by letting, help, letting them help you fill that box of love. You know, perhaps they want to contribute out of their piggy bank to it. Help them discover generosity. That's the first step. Just start to give. Do something. This also means looking at budgeting. Because when Paul says to decide in your heart, he's saying what you have purposed to do, not out of an emotional appeal. That's why I'm not taking offering at the end of service. I thought about it. I will tell them what to do and they'll give at the end because I've emotionally appealed to them why we're not doing that. It's because I want you to decide between you and God what it is. Purpose in your heart and move forward. If you're already giving, maybe it's sporadically, kind of when you have it, when there's a little extra, I challenge you, move to tithing. A young lady just shared with me, and I, I remember meeting with her over a year ago, where she said, we're struggling hard. And I said, are you giving to the Lord? Not that financial struggle is because you're not giving, but that's usually where I start. And she said, I'm not. I said, give Five bucks. Give five bucks and just begin to see God work. And I said, but you also have to have a plan. So they started doing Dave Ramsey. And when she shared her story with me this week, she said, I didn't know where it was going to come from, but faith promises. I, I, did, I started tithing and I'm doing faith promises now. She went from not giving to giving something to tithing to the next step, which is stepping into faith promises and offerings. Faith promises are how we support our missionaries. It's how we're affecting the world at large. It's those offerings we say, we're trying to re- reduce debt to seek after what God can do in our ministries. That's an offering. You're saying, God, I'm going to do just a little bit more. It requires the second thing, resolve, to do deliberately, not hastily or emotional. This is why digital giving is such a great option. When you, when you have it taken out of your checking account How many of you know that you just love the Internet to pay bills? I do, because all the things that I I know are important to me, like, I don't know, Internet, lights, water, I take care of because I don't want those things to be shut off. And they're important to me, and I say, God, you're important. I'm going to make sure I have that taken out automatically. And then when I'm emotional and I'm looking at the bills going, oh, my goodness, I, I trust you, God. I've already made that step, not out of emotion. The last thing, it's a private decision, not public, which means... You don't give so that others will see you. Oh, pastor, you know how much I gave this week? No, I don't. I don't really care. I don't look at giving records. There's a reason I don't, because I would like some of you more for the wrong reasons, and I probably would not like many of you at all, because it would be emotional. It would be like, well, I can't believe, you know, I'm sorry, I'm human. That's how I roll. So I don't. I don't have any clue, but I want you to know God does. And he's not mad because you haven't given. He's not mad at you. So don't give this morning because you think God's mad at you for not tithing for the last three months. It's the same reason you shouldn't think God's mad at you because you didn't pray yesterday or read read your bible at all this week you begin to move because the spirit of god has done something in your heart that passionately moves and when you say i'm going to sow generously it means i'm going to sow my prayers generously I'm going to read scripture because I know when I do that generously with my time, something's going to sprout in my heart. And when I begin to give of my finances and of my time and of my energy, there's something that's going to happen in my life that I couldn't see any other way. And church, I wish I could tell you that you could be Christ-like and not give or tithe or do any of these things, but I can't. I'd be lying to you. There is no other way to be like Christ than to give. I just don't see any other way around it. For so long, I've told myself I want to be generous, but it was that moment a few years ago when I said, if if I want to live a generous life, I have to crack the shell by giving. And I remember turning into my Bible, and this is a point in my life where our finances were pretty threadbare, and I said, God, what do you want me to do? And the scripture that I turned to simply said this, freely you have received, freely give. That's God's generosity to us. Would you stand this morning? As we close this morning, I just want them to sing this chorus of this song and allow you a moment of reflection of what your next step is. Perhaps it's to move from not giving to giving something from from giving to tithing from tithing to the giving of faith promises and, and offerings, and who knows where god's going to lead you and the great thing about what you do when you begin to step into generosity is you don 't know where God could take you and what he could possibly do in your life? Church, would you purpose in your heart to to be generous and whatever that looks like for you as you take that next step. You say, God, you are holy and I'm giving you everything. Then take that next step and whatever that is, big or small. Some in this room, you've never taken the first step to give your life to Christ. Forget about finances and other things, but you've never... Accepted the generosity of Christ, inviting him into your life to to lead your life. And in this moment right now, you're going to make the beautiful exchange. You're going to take what you think. I talked to somebody this week. They looked at their life and said, it's so messed up. God couldn't even begin to work with me. And I, I think... That's the greatness of God, the beautiful exchange. His generosity is not based on what your life looks like or who who you think you are. It's based on who he is. In this moment, would you bow your heads, church, in this reflective moment? Maybe you've never made that decision to follow Christ with your life and all over this room. Would you lift your hands right now and say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to accept the generosity of Christ in my life. I want his forgiveness. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to commit my life to Christ today. Anybody else? Lift your hand. You can put it right back down. This is the best moment of church, is when people commit their lives to Christ, and they accept a beautiful exchange, an old life for a new Church, would you pray with those who've lifted their hands this morning and would you mean it in your heart if you raised your hand or even if you didn't for the first time, let's pray together. Say, dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. Thank you for what you did on the cross, dying for me, paying for my sins, to rise again and give me new life. Help me to live for you and to be generous like you. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Church, thank you for your time this morning, and pray that God is stirring your heart passionately. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. Have a blessed week.